Welcome to Asante Church. Once again, I'm glad we have this super upbeat bumper. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, this thing almost got me. Because last week we talked about how we live beautifully. Basically everything we are basing last week, this week, and next week off of is how we live and engage in society beautifully. And so we hit the oh-so-fun topics last week of our relationship with the government and how the government doesn't always deserve us to honor it, but as believers we honor it anyway. As believers, we have a part to play in society. As believers, we aren't pro-anarchy, we're pro-unity. And the people that are in charge don't always deserve our respect, but we honor them because we have been called to serve and be a part of society. From there, we jumped over into um, slaves and their relationship to their masters, or as we would put it today, employees and their relationship to their bosses. How do we behave? How do we act? How do we live in a culture when we are in a workplace where we have a boss that isn't necessarily worthy? And so today we look at how we live excellently, how we live honorably, how we live righteously, how we live well, how we live beautifully. We're going from government. From government we go down to the workplace, from the workplace we go down to the home, and today we are talking about the relationship between husbands and wives and wives and husbands. We're talking about a word that brings up a lot of different emotions for us depending on where we've come from, but depending on our church background, our religious background, the relationship we've had in marriages or in just boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, all of that plays into this word we continue to talk about today, which is the S word. I don't know if you've heard it. I don't know how you feel about it. It is called submission. And this is something that is uncomfortable to us because I think specifically the scripture that we're covering today and the way that it has been misinterpreted, it's been misused in the church throughout generations, and the way society has taken that, and the way culture has shifted away from that. And so what I'm saying as your pastor in this church today is let's not say, okay, this is culture's idea on the home. This is culture's idea on marriage. This is what culture says a husband and a wife should do and how they should interact. Let's not take the misinterpretation of the church in the past or even today and saying, all right, this is what women do. This is what men do. What I'm saying is let's take a right look at scripture this morning. Let's see what Peter argues for in a marriage between a man and a woman. Let's see what Peter argues for in an unequally yoked marriage, in a marriage where the woman is a believer and the husband is not a believer. Let's look at what it looks like to live beautifully within that relationship, within that context. Now we are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We're just kicking off chapter 3 today. And if you read forward, if you read forward in the seven verses that we're going to cover today, if you are a A-plus student in here and you've already read all the scripture because I emailed it out earlier this week, what you will find is that there are six verses today that pertain to the woman in the relationship. There is one verse that pertains to the man. Now, before all my women in here just check out on me and say, okay, he thinks I need all the work, let me just explain what Peter is doing. It will set the tone for the rest of our time together today. 
What Peter is doing is he is going through these different relationships that we have within society as citizens under government, as employees under bosses, as slaves under masters. And what he is doing today, just as he has done in the previous weeks, is he is taking this person who is more likely to be persecuted, who is more likely to suffer under bad leadership of someone else. And so within this historical context that Peter is writing to these scattered believers all over these Roman Greek provinces, what Peter is saying is, hey, I see you women. I see you. And I know that it is highly more likely that you will be abused in these situations, that you will suffer under the situations, that you will be persecuted under these situations if you are under a husband who is not a believer. Now, this is a big thing that Peter is doing. This is countercultural. I think a lot of times we read the Bible, we say, that's, man, that's just ancient. There's no way we could live like that now. Let me tell you what the world, what their view on women was back then. In Rome, a woman was property of a man, just like children were. There was nothing that that woman could do under the ownership of that man. Women were severely mistreated. Women never would have received one verse according to history. But what does Peter do? Peter addresses them with six. This is so countercultural. This is so forward-thinking for Peter. The people back then would have said, oh man, there's something different about those Christians. Oh man, they don't think like we think. Oh man, they view each other differently. It was so bad in culture back then, in Roman culture, that if you were married to a man or if a man was your father, they had complete right over you, they could execute you and nothing could ever be done about it. Peter says, no, that's not the way. That might have been the way of history, but that is not the way of our Jesus. We have been set free. As free people, we are equal in essence, under Jesus. Yes, our responsibilities, our roles within these relationships, those change, but we are equal in the eyes of God. And so as Peter writes these six verses, ladies, look, it's not because you need more work than the men. If Peter were to write this today, he'd write 16 to the men and he'd write one to you, okay? Peter's looking out for him. He's saying, hey, ladies, all the non-single ladies, I see you. I got you. I want to make sure that you are protected. And then he addresses the men. And then he sets them straight. Equal in essence, differing in responsibility, differing in function. So let's dive in today. I just want you all to know these aren't necessarily sermons I like to preach okay? I don't like to get in your business about government, about the workplace, about the home, but God's Word has a design that we are to put in place in our lives. And so if you are visiting us today, we might have hit something similar to this about 10 weeks ago, talking about how we address the family, how we view the family in our church, but this ain't normal. So bear with us, come back again, but also Man, God has got a word for us in here. God has a word for us in here as husbands and as wives. So let's dive in and let's look at this and let's put it in its right context. We start off in verse 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word 
by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. We're going to look at three characteristics this morning of a wife with a, that has a husband who is not a believer. And these three characteristics that she can take on in order to win her husband to the Lord. And the first of those is that her actions speak louder than words. Her actions speak louder than words. It says, be subject to your own husbands. Now, to be subject means to lovingly submit yourself, lovingly respect your husband, lovingly follow his leadership. Now, husbands, we'll get to this a little bit more later. I want to go ahead and start off with this so you don't think you're off the hook. This, this has implications for you too. And the implication is that you would lovingly lead and serve and sacrifice for your house. As men, God has given you authority. He has given you a special role of leadership within your home. And if you look at our example of leadership and of authority, you look at Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, Jesus laid his life down. Your authority is not to be used to make demands of someone else. Your authority is not to be used to sit on the couch and say, woman, would you bring me hot wings and an ice cold, we're just going to say glass of milk. That's a misuse of authority. When we look at authority and godly men in scripture, every single time they lay their authority down by putting their lives on the line for other people. And so this is the context in which Peter is speaking into. And so all of a sudden being subject, lovingly submitting to this person's leadership is not that big of an issue. And it's not that big of an issue because that guy's not a jerk like the rest of the men in culture, like the rest of the men in society. This is a man that also submits to me, and we'll get to that soon as well. This is a man who loves me, and his submission to me is different than my submission to him, but this is a man who lays it all down on the line for me. And so, to be subject, it means to honor him. It means to respect him as he goes out into the world, as he makes a way for the family, just as you might as well, as he tries to lead spiritually in the household, as he tries to lead in household decisions. Encourage him. Get his back. Be the wind in his sails. And it says, be subject to your own husbands. All right? That doesn't mean that you are subject to anyone else's husbands. I think, ladies, I can probably infer that your husband alone is enough for you. You don't need anybody else asking you to do anything. You certainly don't need anybody else telling you what to do anything. Your capacity is probably a little past full based off of the one husband that you have now. What Peter is saying here is that you stick with him to win him. Remember, this specific incident, this specific context that Peter is talking to today is, ladies, if your husband, if your husband is not a believer, this is how you win him. You respect him, you honor him, you follow his leadership. We pray that that is godly leadership. We pray that he will come to know Jesus, but right now he doesn't. So how do you win him? By your actions. Let your actions speak louder than your words. I want to share something with you. You will never win your husband to Jesus 
by nagging him to Jesus. No one was ever nagged to Jesus. Absolutely not. They were probably pushed a little bit further away from Jesus by trying to be nagged to Jesus. Encourage him, respect him, love him in all of your actions. And don't be petty with it. I've heard of wives, they, they come to know Jesus and they want their husbands so desperately to come to know Jesus and so they start slipping tracks in their lunchboxes. They start taking pictures of scripture and saving it to their home screen. They go out into their car before work and they turn it to K-Love or Air One. This is gonna win him right here. No, it's not. So how do you win him? As Peter says here, by your respectful and pure conduct. Now, this doesn't mean that you never use words. There was a saying a while back, preach the gospel and at, at every chance that you get, and if you have to, use your words. Maybe you've heard that. Look, that's just silly. If all we ever do is love people, they're not going to know the reason behind that love. And so, yes, love people every chance you get. Share the gospel every chance you get with your actions, but you have to say something to them eventually. Otherwise, you're just loving them to hell. Tell them about the good news of Jesus. Tell them they have a God that loves them so much he sent his one and only son to die for them. Tell them that he has made a difference in you through the love you show them. Let that transformation be made known. Let them know that's exactly why you love. That's exactly why you serve them. And so there is an understanding here that this is a wife who has shared with her husband, shared with her husband, and he has just grown deaf to it. We share the gospel at least one time every single service here at Asante Church. I'm pretty sure when I get to the gospel at some point in this message, just touched on it a little bit, you're going to glaze over. That's just how it goes. You hear the same thing over and over. You start to just kind of tune it out. What Peter's saying here is for the husbands who have tuned this out, continue to love them, continue to serve them, be pure in conduct. Don't be like the person you used to be. Don't be like the wives that disrespect their husbands that your husband know, that you know. Show your husband that you have a life that has been transformed. Show him through that transformation that you are no longer like the rest of the world. Now you are righteous. You are not self-righteous. You are encouraging. You are not degrading and you are honoring. You are not demeaning. Now I also think it's very important, especially in society today, especially when we start throwing around words like submission, that we understand that this is not a completely unconditional thing. It wasn't a completely unconditional thing when we talked about the government. It wasn't a completely unconditional thing when we talked about our relationship to our bosses as employees. Now, this is conditional as well as wives to husbands. And the condition is that you are to love your husband, serve your husband, respect him, encourage him, honor him all the way up until it becomes sinful. When it becomes sinful, that is when your husband's leadership takes a backseat to the leadership of God. He does not take the place of God in your life. And so if your husband says, let's disobey God, that is the point when you disobey your husband. 
This also means that if you are in a situation where submission is being taken out of context, where it is being taken away from this biblical idea of, of submission and taken into something more along the lines of domination, you need to remove yourself from that relationship. This is not saying that you put yourself in harm's way in order to win someone else. No, if there is any abuse in the relationship, if there is physical safety that is at risk, remove yourself from that situation. That is absolutely 100% A-OK. And let that reconciliation take place. Let healing take place. Let counseling take place at a time when it is healthy. Not a time when anything could happen, when explosions can go off. Verses three through four, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Our second point this morning is her attitude is her source of beauty. Her attitude is her source of beauty. When we read verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry or the clothing you wear. I think what we could take out of context here is that, all right, I'm, I'm reading what this is saying. And this is saying that makeup is bad, taking care of your hair is bad, jewelry is bad, and this is not a statement against any of those things. Historically, in this time, in the people that Peter is writing to, those things were not bad. Now, there were certain cults that took things to the next level that spent a little too much emphasis and the braiding of hair, if you braided your hair a certain way, that meant you were part of this cult or a part of that cult. Peter's saying, just stay away from that stuff. But historically, these things, they were good to go. There have been archaeological excavations where they have dug up the graves of people that lived back in this time, and they had more colors for their hair than most of our kids walking around here. I know you've seen a lot of different colored hair. That's not new. Fashion, it goes out, it comes back in. It goes out, it comes back in. Their hair was dyed bold colors. They had wigs that were bold colors. You want to guess the number one hair dye color back in ancient Rome to these people that Peter is writing to? It was blonde, which means even back then, blondes had more fun. <laughs> and the same is true today. And it wasn't just the unbelievers. When they dig up Christian catacombs, it was the believers that had jewelry on. It's the believers that had their hair dyed, that had wigs that were adorned externally in all of these things. What Peter is saying here more than anything is don't let your external appearance distract from what matters most. Now what Peter is saying here is, hey, if you have a house, paint the house. If you have a face, put makeup on your face. If you've got hair, take care of your hair. Wear jewelry. All of that stuff is fine. You can go all throughout the Bible. All these things are fine. But don't get so focused in and hyper fixated on the external appearance of your body. Don't just paint the outside of the house. Don't just put new shutters on it and furnish that thing. All right, when you watch any episode of Fixer Upper, Chip and JoJo, they're just, you know, they got the outside looking all fresh. But they're doing stuff on the inside too. 
And that's a little deceptive because it's not every room. You ever notice that? They never show you every room. Let's not let that be the case for us. Let's go to work on the inside as well, on the internal adorning. In verse 4, it says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter is saying, spend more time on who you are on the inside. The reason for that is because outer beauty fades, but who you are on the inside, ladies, that is what lasts forever. You want to know what all the supermodels that were hired and on the runways and in the magazines, you want to know what they were doing last year? They were, they were working. You want to know what they're doing this year? They're no longer modeling. Because external beauty, external appearance is all based off of one thing. And that one thing is youth. And youth fades. I know. I used to have hair. It was nice. My beard wasn't so gray. I wish it'd make its mind up. One or the other. We age. And our beauty comes and our beauty goes. And so focus on what matters. What Peter is saying here is where are you spending your time? Ladies, men, this could be directed just as easily to you. Spend a lot of time on your outward appearance. Now, to the ladies, I don't know any men here that wear makeup. That's good. We can be friends. (laughs) But how much time are we spending doing our hair? How much time are we spending putting our outfits together? How much time are we spending with jewelry? How much time are we spending checking in the mirror? That's a lot of time on the external, are we putting the same amount of time or more into the internal, where beauty never fades, into what lasts forever, which Peter says in the middle part of verse 4 here is a quiet and gentle spirit. Now, this is one of those scriptures that you can get in a lot of trouble over. This is one of those scriptures that has been misinterpreted so long in so many churches, in so many cultural contexts. He says a gentle and quiet spirit. Never once does Peter say that the woman is to be silent. Never once is he saying that the woman is to remain quiet. A gentle and quiet spirit talks about a meekness. And what a meekness is, is power that is immense but power that is under control. You think about a horse with a bridle in its mouth. That is power that is under control. That is a faulty illustration, ladies. I'm not calling any one of you in here a horse, okay? Should have thought that through. A quiet and gentle spirit. This is bringing a sense of calm into any situation. I know we have a lot of teachers in here. So impressed by you teachers. If I was in a classroom, there would be no calm. There would be no gentle spirit. There would be me on the news later that night. Uh, The way that you are able to navigate the relationships between the kids in your class and never raise a voice, but go over in a still, stern voice and correct and go back to the group is absolutely masterful. 
congratulations to you. This is exactly what that is talking about. A gentle and quiet spirit, powerful but under control, bringing a sense of calm into every situation like a calm lake, like it is just glass on the surface. What this is saying not to be is a wife that tears down. You'll never win your husband to the Lord if you're constantly tearing him down. What this is saying not to be is a wife that escalates the situations in an argument or in a conversation or in any situation with her husband. You bring power, but you bring it under control. It's no doubt in any marriage how much power that woman has. Bring it under control. Don't let it go wild. And a sense of calm. Now, this is something that for some of you, this will come naturally. I think you will need the Holy Spirit in this regardless, but for some of you ladies, and I know a lot of you, this ain't going to come natural whatsoever, all right? This is why we need the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this. You cannot do this in your own strength. Naturally, we want to be right. Naturally, we want to win arguments. Naturally, your husband is a buffoon. Naturally, you want to make him feel like that every chance you get. Naturally, he hasn't been wrong about a single argument since you got married. Naturally, you might have let him think he has been a couple of times. This ain't going to be easy. But we rely on relationships with Jesus. We rely on the Holy Spirit within us to fill the gap of where we let up and where God calls us to be. Why? The very last part of verse 4, this is what God values. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your hair. He doesn't see your makeup. He doesn't see your jewelry. He doesn't see the external adornings. No, he sees the state of your heart. So when you look up at God, you say, God, about to go out. Am I looking good? You look in the mirror once, you turn around. I'm not going to turn around. All right, that's weird, okay? You look in the mirror again. Before you go out, you turn sideways, then you go out the door. God, as much as I have checked myself out externally, making sure I'm good to go before I leave the house, God, where am I in my internal person? Where is my heart? Is it in alignment with you? Is it in submission to you? Because it's got to be in submission to Jesus before it can ever be in submission to somebody else. Verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting themselves to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening Third point this morning, her examples are godly, not godless. If you are going to win a husband that is a non-believer, it is by having examples in your life that are godly and not godless. This means that you consult scripture on who you should be long before you consult social media influencers, long before you consult anything on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, anything like that, long before you consult the Kardashians, long before you consult anything else that is out there in culture. You go to God's word on what kind of woman you should be, what kind of woman of God he has before you, that he wants to grow you into, and you are a woman that surrounds herself with other godly women for encouragement. Because especially if you have a husband that is not a believer, you have an uphill battle. 
This is going to be hard. You are going to need to surround yourself with women that can encourage you, that can say, hey, I know what kind of situation you're in. Keep going. Women that will surround you and say, hey, I know how bad this stinks. I'm praying for you. Keep going. And I would say this isn't just for the women that their husbands don't know Jesus. This is for the women whose husbands don't, do know Jesus and are still dragging their feet. This is for the, husband, for the women whose husbands do know Jesus and they're struggling to lead in a manner that they should. Women surround each other. One thing we place such a high value on in this church is community because we believe you can't live life alone. If you are trying to see your husband come to know Jesus by the way that you live and you are doing it as a lone wolf, solo, you won't last long. Put yourself before the word of God. Put yourself in the comfort, in the encouragement of a relationship of other women for growth, for guidance, and for examples. And consult those two things far before, long before you consult anything outside of that. And then Peter gives us an example. And the example that he gives, gives us is of Sarah. And verse 6 says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So this is a reference, Peter keeps referencing back to things that happen in the Old Testament. This is a reference from Peter that is found in Genesis 18, verse 12. And that says, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, quote, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now what Sarah is talking about is the ability to bear a child in her old age. Her and Abraham, they are up there in their years. They are the seniorest of the senior of citizens. And God visits Abraham and he tells Abraham, Hey, Abraham, you remember that child that I promised you? Sarah is going to bear a son. Now, God and Abraham, they're outside of the tent. Tents weren't very insulated. It wasn't like these houses out here in Arizona. Sarah is inside of the tent. She overhears this conversation that God and Abraham are having, and she laughs. And then she calls Abraham her Lord in her inner dialogue. And then outrageous moment where this woman that is up there in her years has been told she is going to bear a son. This is going to be a miraculous thing. What does she do? She honors her husband by calling him Lord. Now let's just practice that real quick. All the ladies in the house today, just turn to your husband, say, hello, my Lord. <laughs> that ain't happening. It's crazy. We're getting wild up in here. Now, this isn't necessarily something that Sarah said out loud. I think this is something that took place in some inner dialogue uh, for Sarah. I want to think, I want you to think about the things that you've called your husband in his, in your inner dialogue when weird situations have popped up. Where was my Lord on the list? It was probably under some other words, some words we won't say here because we're going to act Christian today. <laughs> now this pronouncing of her husband Abraham as her Lord, this is not a declaration of deity. This is simply based off of her respect for him. 
This is based on her honor to him. And this is based off a pattern of obedience to her husband in his loving and sacrificial leadership. We see this over and over throughout the book of Genesis. Abraham is a knucklehead to the highest degree. Abraham has a lot of wise ideas that he tries to pull. And his wife, in her loving submission, goes along with him. Hey, babe, uh, God's not really taking care of us here. There's kind of a famine in the land, so let's go to Egypt. Yeah, there's a lot of food in Egypt. Okay, my Lord. Look, this respect, this honoring your husband, never once in the Bible does it say you have to agree with him. All right? And Sarah, Sarah shows that. When they get to Egypt, oh, hey, um, hey, babe, you know how you're like super pretty? All right, well, that's going to be a problem for us because I'm, I'm afraid that uh, if they think that we're married, um, they're going to kill me so that they can have you as their wife. And so what I, I, I've just been thinking, all right, you tell me how you feel about this. I've just, it's been running through my head. How about we say that you're my sister and then you go be with him anyway? Because, I mean, I don't want to die. I mean, that's good with you, right, Sarah? And Sarah and her obedience... Uh, whatever. Yeah, my Lord. <laughs> Absolutely not. But look, what we see in Sarah, we see Sarah in Hebrews in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Why is she there? She is there because of her faith in the husband that God gave to her in her loyal, respectful, honoring obedience to him. She is in the Hall of Fame of Faith because she had faith in the husband God gave her. And what that shows was not that Abraham was any smarter than Sarah. He wasn't any, there was no superiority that was taking place intellectually. There was no superiority that was taking place spiritually. That's certainly not what the scripture is saying. Women aren't called under the leadership of their husbands as part of the household because there is any difference there. In fact, I would say in 99.9% of the cases that I have seen, especially within the church, it's the exact opposite. Women are superior intelligently. Women are superior spiritually, and it's often the men that are dragging behind. You can look at that when you look around and see who's serving within the church. Anytime there's a need throughout history, it has been women that step up and fill that need first. There's a soft spot on their hearts for the gospel. And we see that time and time again. So there's no statement of inequality here, but there is a statement that Sarah's hope, while yes, it was in Abraham, it was in God. And she was confident that God would reward it. So ladies, I'm going to leave you alone for as long as I can. I think the last time we talked about this was about 10 weeks ago. Let's take about 10 months off, all right? Gentlemen, let's focus in on our roles here in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now we can look at this and say, oh, Peter just wrote six verses and had a little bit more to say than this. And then we can look at Peter's life historically. We can see that, yes, he was married and he also lived with his mother-in-law. And so when we read this through that context, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. 
we can see there might have been some obstacles that he had to overcome there. But when we look at this in its rightful biblical scriptural context, we see at the very beginning of this verse, at verse 7, it says, likewise. Where else has it said likewise along the way throughout these scriptures? At the beginning of Peter addressing each new group. Likewise, citizens under government. Likewise, slaves under masters. Likewise, wives under husbands. Now, likewise, husbands. That likewise always comes with something after, and that is the idea that we are to submit. So that means it's not just wives that submit to husbands. Now this means that husbands submit to wives. And yes, it is different in the way that it plays out, but it is submission nonetheless. And we see that in Ephesians 5, verses 20 through 21, right before Paul goes on the breakdown of God's design for the family. And he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what we see in any good marriage here, the shift has come off of to wives that have husbands who don't believe, and now it is to husbands as leaders of the household, as believers, submit to your wives. What must you do first? You must submit to King Jesus. You are going to be lousy at submitting. You are going to be lousy to submit to if you do not first submit your life to the King. And under his authority, and under his plan for your family, then you submit to your wife. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Fourth point today is that his love is considerate and comforting. His love is considerate and comforting. So what does being understanding. What does it mean to live in an understanding way? Understanding can be translated as saying being considerate. Be considerate as the head of your household, as the leader of your family to your wife. There's going to be times where your wife is in distress. Be considerate. Offer love and comfort to your wife. Do not offer lectures. Offer love and comfort to the woman that God gave you to love and sacrifice and lead spiritually. Do not give her passivity. Do not give her distance. Your wife, when she comes to you, wants to feel loved, wants to be told that it is okay. The scripture tells us that we are to love our wives. It tells wives they are to respect their husbands. This means that you offer love. This is the one thing she was designed for, and that is love. This is not her coming to you discomforted, needing your love, needing your comfort, and you telling her every reason that she is wrong. Now, that makes you a know-it-all. Not comforting. Not loving. Love your wife. Don't point out her flaws. Now, there will be times where you need to speak truth in love. There will be times, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, where the lies of the enemy will come against your wife, and you are to wash over those with the love of the word. If your wife is believing a lie, believing something that is not true, point that out in a loving way. Say, hey, I feel like you are believing this about yourself, and this is absolutely not true. In fact, this is what God says you are. 
You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a daughter of the king, and you are loved. The problem is when we don't offer love, when we don't offer comfort, our wives want to be married to a teddy bear, and instead of what they get is a cactus. And when they go in for that hug, when they go in for love and for comfort, they are pricked every single time. Men, this will also not be natural for you. There will be a drive that you have to be right. There will be a drive that you have to be the smartest. But your marriage isn't the place for that. Love, comfort your wife out of the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing you cannot do this in your own strength, knowing that you won't do this in your own strength. The other temptation is to back away and to hide from your wife's emotions, being overwhelmed by them, or to just distance yourself completely. In the power of the Holy Spirit, be stronger. In the power of the Holy Spirit, love better. In the power of the Holy Spirit, comfort more and show her honor. Respect her as she has respected you to her face and around other people. And then we have this phrase, as the weaker vessel. Now again, we know this is a statement of, of equality that follows this. So Peter is not saying that the wives are weaker emotionally, not weaker spiritually, but as a generality, the wives being weaker physically and also under the leadership of their husbands. And so husbands, know your wives. Know their weaknesses. When you bring a newborn baby home from the hospital, you know the soft spots on that baby's head. You know where you need to hold it under its head to cradle its neck, to protect it. You know that you don't need to drop that baby. You know you need to keep that baby safe. You know the soft points, the pressure points, the points that you need to protect. And in the same way, know your wife. Know the places in her character, the places in her life that need to be protected. And don't be the one that goes in there and plays whack-a-mole on those places. Don't be the one that goes in there and starts just poking and prodding and saying, I think we should work on this. I think we should work on this. In the same way wives are not to nag their husbands, husbands, don't be hypercritical of your wives. You've been entrusted with a daughter of the king. Let's treat her with respect. Let's give her love. Let's give her comfort. Quickly, fifth point. He loves and he leads with eternity and equality in mind. Why does he do that? Because as Peter writes, they are heirs with you of the grace of life. This is heirs with you. This is not heirs under you. This is not heirs over you. This is heirs beside you, with you, with eternity in mind. You have an eternity with your wife here to love her, to comfort her, to lead her, to grow her spiritually. She will sanctify you, making you more like Jesus as you sanctify her. And in one day you'll be presented before God the Father. Keep the way you husband in mind with the future of eternity before God that is ahead. In point six this morning, his prayers are heard by God. We've heard all of this before. Love and respect your wife. Lead your wife well protect your wife, provide for your wife. Why is that? What is the big idea behind all of this? The big idea behind all of this is that if we don't, we are straight up messing with the favor that we receive from God. Peter writes, his prayers are unhindered in the way that he cares for his wife. 
And so what we see here is that the way you treat your wife determines the way that God interacts with you. If you feel like God is distant in your life, you feel like you're in a dry spell, let's look at your marriage. Let's look at the way that you have been treating your spouse. You feel like there's distance between you and God, let's look at the distance between you and his daughter. My girls are going to grow up one day, they're going to get married, and they're, uh, they're hopefully going to be married to to men that are worthy of their hands in marriage. If they're not, I'm going to whip some tails into shape until they are. But if there is any mistreatment of my daughter and that son-in-law of mine calls me on the phone and says, hey, I need help with this. I'm going to say, I think what you need to get right first is your relationship with my daughter. What God is saying here is the same. Get right with your life, your wife, and have a healthier prayer life. See God show up in your life based on the way that you treat your spouse.